I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Muses, the podcast that talks about women in the music industry, all different kinds of women. Right, Lynx? That's right. Yes. (laughs) Looking forward to this one. You've been giving me not like hints or anything but telling me like this is an exciting story there's lots to talk about here so I'm really pumped but before that can we talk for a moment about the adorable photo that you sent me last night yes we absolutely can okay for those who want a little bit of a life update Go on and keep on listening. For those who want to get right to the episode, we've put a timestamp in. If you want to hear about Our Lady this week, you can check the show notes and you can begin there. Otherwise, stick with us and I have some fun and exciting news. And that news is, is that I'm getting a puppy. Oh my God, these photos that you were sending me were like killing me. Like, so tiny, so adorable. Give me more information about this. Okay, so when TJ and I moved to this farm, and even before that, even like a couple of years before moving to the farm, we knew that eventually once we were settled here and we were both in a routine and we felt confident and able to, we were going to get a dog of our own. And so now that we've been living here for about six months, from time to time, we check online. So I look everywhere. I look on all the humane societies. I look occasionally like on the Kijiji's. Um, And then we found, we decided that 
we'll know when it's the perfect puppy. We know when it'll be the perfect mix of dogs and the right location and the right time. And that's exactly what happened. We didn't contact anybody except for this one person who we thought, wow, these puppies look like they might be the right ones for us. So before I tell you about the kind of puppy and where we're going and everything, I just want to explain that I know that it's important to also look for adult dogs and adoption. So I just want to make it clear that I have been an adopter my whole life. Mm -hmm. My first two dogs ever that I got as a child were adopted at one and two years old. One of my cats that I have is a rescue and I've even rescued and adopted a bird before. The reason why it's important for me at this time in my life to get a puppy is because my partner and I have decided not to have children. Yeah, this is your baby. Exactly. So we decided that for our relationship, you know, we've seen what it was like to adopt an animal together, which was lovely and we're obsessed with her. But we also thought like for our relationship and for where we are in our lives, we would like to raise something together, which is why we looked for, you know, as ethical as you can be for a right fit for what seemed like a good family and good family dogs and, uh, a good dog that's going to take good care of our farm and our property and our chickens and one that we can really train to do all of those things. Yeah, it couldn't really be any more perfect timing for you guys now that you're out of the city. And like you said, you have all that space there. Uh, I'm so excited for you to, you know, build your pet family. Yeah. So the puppy that we're getting uh was born he was born on January 3rd so he's going to be ready in March and he is a mixture between uh Pyrenees so one of those very large white coated long furred dogs got it they're calm they're intelligent and they're really good farm dogs and then the mother is a German Shepherd. She may be like a German Shepherd mix. I'm not sure if she's purebred German Shepherd, but she's like mostly German Shepherd. So it's like a Germanese. Yeah. We'll call it. When do you get to go meet him for the first time? We get to hold him tomorrow. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't wait for the photos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're going to drive. It's about an hour. Uh, well, we're going to go see him. We're going to go hold him. And, um, you know, I've only seen photos and seen like videos and learned about his temperament and about the other dogs in the litter. And we chose him. There was four left and we we chose him out of the four that were remaining. Ah, uh, this is so exciting. How do you think Chester? I feel like Callie will be cool <laughs> Like immediately. How do you think Chester's going to handle this? Chester is my 13 year old absolute baby of a cat. Um, I'm hoping best case scenario because he still has a lot of life in him and he still has a lot of energy. And sometimes I actually feel bad for him in the mornings because he um, seems bored and he wants to play and there's only so much I can do with him. And he used to wrestle with my dog. Uh, with my childhood dog. Hmm. So I'm hoping that best case scenario with the puppy, since the puppy might be his size or maybe slightly smaller, that they can be friends and that the puppy energy will allow him to get out some of this like excess energy that he seems to have in the morning. 
That makes sense. And yeah, I can see that. I can picture him at first being like, oh my God, another one. And then being like, oh, okay, this is fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like the puppy that we're getting, there's three cats in that house. So he's been around cats already. And worst case scenario, I guess, you know, Chester remains upstairs. He's already always stays upstairs all the time anyways. And the dog can kind of have his space downstairs and we'll figure it out from there. Yeah, they'll learn to live with each other I'm sure it's actually gonna I feel like Chester's gonna like you said like this will help him in a way for sure yeah so if you made it this far and you're curious to what the little guy looks like um I'll attach a photo in the in the carousel of photos for this week's episode (laughs) yes please uh I can't wait to see like constant photos of this dog because it's so adorable and I know you're gonna be posting on your Instagram and <laughs> everywhere. So I am ready. I'm ready. I'm going to be the aunt. I'll be the auntie. All right. <laughs> auntie Links. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So today, if you haven't figured it out by the title of the episode, we are talking about Patsy Cline. This is a good one. I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, I haven't, I can't believe we haven't done her yet. Yeah, we talked about doing her when we were doing the Loretta Lynn episode because she came up quite a bit in Loretta's episode. And then Loretta comes up, you know, she crosses over into this story as well, of course. So Mm -hmm. the reason why I chose Patsy was, one, she had a lot of firsts in the music scene in the 1950s and early 60s. And the book was at the library. Perfect. This episode is actually supposed to be Aretha Franklin. I don't know if I said this on the on Patreon or the actual show, but my I read a 500-page book on Aretha, wrote up an awesome episode, and it is gone. Even with a data recovery program, it's gone. Uh, that's I know how heartbreaking and frustrating that is, especially when you're really looking forward to it too like I know how excited you were to share that story so that's a bummer but you'll get around to it when it's the time's right absolutely I'll come back to it when I'm I'm like ready to come back to it now I just had needed a break and I had both Aretha and Patsy's book so I came to Patsy so that's another cool thing I think about our podcast is yes we talk about the muses the groupies the wives the girlfriends the photographers but then we talk about the musicians themselves and I love that we have the freedom to do that me too. Yeah, there's so many, so many women left to cover and so many stories that are just incredible. So yeah, I'm pumped. And we're not slowing down anytime soon. So why limit ourselves? Exactly. Yes. Yes. All right. All right. So the book that I read is called Honky Tonk Angel, The Intimate Story of Patsy Cline. This book is written by Ellis Nasur. And it has a foreword by Dottie West. I realized during you know, the research of this, and sometimes, you know, I check other uh, sources and I'll look up and see, oh, did like her daughter ever speak publicly? That kind of thing. And I realized that there's a 1985 biographical film called Ooh. Sweet Dreams starring Jessica Lange. Oh, wow. Patsy. It's on YouTube for free. Oh, my goodness. I did not know that. Yeah. Huh. I will check it out. Yeah, Brenda Lee calls this book a poignant tribute to the Patsy Cline I knew and loved. Oh, good. As I said, Dottie West was a huge fan. She was very young when she met Patsy, and Patsy treated her very well. And she said that uh, she wrote Patsy her first and only fan letter, and later on they became friends. Aw. 
She said that Patsy put feeling into her music and into her entire self. Patsy gave Dottie the best advice she'd ever been given, and that was find one person to sing to and sing to that just one. Hmm. When she got that down, Patsy added, now make every person out there think that he or she is the one and cast a spell over them. Patsy had charisma. It was equal to Elvis or Johnny Cash, and she was born for show business. She is considered one of the most influential vocalists of the 20th century and was one of the first country music artists to successfully cross over into pop music. Hmm. Patsy, unfortunately, died at the age of 30 in March of 1963. So young. Yeah, it would be um, in a plane crash. So while we do this episode, we know that our time is limited with her. Mm-hmm. Like Aretha, who I said I had originally planned for this week, Patsy really put so much emotion into her music. And also like Aretha, her troubles might have added to her greatness as a singer. Patsy really enjoyed stardom and recognition, and she felt that she had paid her dues for them. She actually loved signing autographs and taking photos with fans. That's good that she got to enjoy it while she was around, you know? She did. Patsy broke boundaries in the sense that she proved that women in music didn't need a man by their side and could consistently sell records and draw audiences. That's right. So while, yes, Patsy had a couple of husbands throughout her career, they weren't her manager. Like, they weren't calling all the shots for her, kind of unlike Aretha in that way, I suppose. Hmm. Patsy was intelligent and outspoken for her time. She was straightforward and loyal. She was soft and feminine, but she also had that don't mess with me vibe. So they called her like, don't mess with the Klein. (laughs) Dottie says Patsy's voice was a unique one in the late 50s when her impact was first felt. She didn't birth the new Nashville sound, but followed close on the heels of Jim Reeves and Eddie Arnold and bringing it out of diapers. Hers were the first country female records to cross over into pop. Hmm. Actually, sadly, Dottie West was in a car accident one day on the way to the Grand Ole Opry and unfortunately passed away in the hospital from those injuries. Wow. So Mm. many tragic stories. Yeah. A lot of the author's knowledge of Patsy comes from the time he spent with Loretta Lynn in 1970. He has interviewed, sorry, Patsy's husband, Patsy's mother, and when Loretta's autobiography came out, there was a huge interest in one for Patsy. The author of the of the biography interviewed hundreds of friends and family members and kind of which I appreciate explains how the sources were cited and how he could quote certain things in certain instances. Hmm. I think it's probably a good idea to do something like that when you're writing a biography on behalf of someone. It's like, well, how do you know that that's exactly what she said? Yeah, very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Patsy is from Shenandoah Valley, the apple blossom city of Winchester, Virginia. She was born on September 8th, 1932. Did you know that Patsy's name is actually Virginia? I did not know that, no. Yeah, but she changed it to Patsy after her middle name, Patterson. Oh, interesting. She was known to be simple, yet complex, had strengths and weaknesses, and people always said this about her, she was 15 to 20 years ahead of the pack. Hmm. Not only musically but as well as 20 years ahead as a feminist. 
Oh, I love it. She's described as not being a beauty in the traditional sense, but she was notorious for her inner beauty, warmth, friendship, and loyalty. Look, if you see pictures of Patsy Cline, she was an absolute babe. So I disagree with anybody saying that she wasn't a beauty in the traditional sense because also fuck beauty in the traditional sense. That's bullshit. Absolutely. Yeah. When I think about her, I picture this big, beautiful smile. And her lovely little hairdos. And yeah, she was adorable. Yeah, for sure. Her outfits were amazing. This like jet black hair. It's like she always cinched her waist and her country outfits. And yeah, she she was beautiful. But that's interesting. Like, you know, whenever this book was written, was it, this isn't a new book. But maybe we wouldn't see that kind of language in something new, you know, that she, you know, in the traditional sense, because as we know, as we get to sort of break down these standards that Mm -hmm. there's no such thing. Very true. Yes. Patsy was an innovator with a taste in fashion that was at the same time mocked behind her back, but then copied immediately. (laughs) As a singer, she had amazing range. So I started listening to Patsy's albums while I'm doing the episode from the beginning, which I like to do. I like to see how they kind of grow and evolve. And sometimes I'll do a best of, but I started with the first album that was released in 1957. It's called Patsy Cline. Nice. Mm-hmm. Her mother uh, was named Hilda Hensley of Winchester, Virginia. Hilda Hensley. <laughs> yeah. The book goes back into Patsy's history as far as her grandparents' marriage in 1878. They owned farms and land and seemed to have done well and had money but lived a simple life. That's why, like, these books are great. I'm not going to get into it too much. Like, I'm not going to get <laughs> into too much of her grandparents' life. And But if you want that history, of course, go ahead and go back and read the book. Great. So some of Patsy's honors were that she was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1973, and she was the first solo woman artist to be honored for her career in country and pop music. Wow. Yeah. And of course, we'll get to the other things later. Uh, As always, we start more from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Patsy's mother said about Patsy that music must have been in her blood because neither she nor her husband were musical. Patsy loved Shirley Temple and would ask to be taken to the movies over and over. (laughs) She wanted to dance just like her, asked for dance lessons, which they couldn't afford. But without any formal training, Patsy entered a dance competition and took first prize. Damn, Patsy. So there you go. There's just that example of, you know what that reminds me of? Ronnie Spector, when uh, she, her, her mom couldn't afford dance lessons for both her and her sister. So Ronnie stood outside the dance studio, yeah. watched, trained herself, and then... I love it. They knew what they wanted and they went after it. So cool. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Patsy begged to be in piano lessons and never missed the Grand Ole Opry on the radio. When she wanted something, she went after it and she never gave up until she got it. Love it. Patsy's father, Sam, was born in 1889 and he also had a love of the land and was a very promising farmer. He was a ladies' man and he had married a woman before Patsy's mother named Winona Jones in 1912. Hmm. In 1914, he signed up for World War I, did his service as a blacksmith, and was discharged in 1918. And when he returned home, he was a changed man. He and Winona had two children, Randolph and Tempe. 
1927, Winona caught a pneumonia and died. Wow. Okay. I hate the next part, but okay. here it is. Not long after that, Sam, aged 40, met 13-year-old Hilda Patterson Ugh. at a Sunday school picnic. Oh, God. So, sorry, the name that I had said, Hilda Hensley, that's her married name. So, Sam Hensley, and then Patsy's name was Virginia Hensley. Gotcha. Virginia Patterson Hensley is Patsy Klein. Okay. Oh. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> they married in 1929, and Sam went to work for his father. Tempe and Randall were raised by their music instructor. Okay. So the two children, Patsy's half-siblings, did not come to live with their father and his new wife. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Hilda gave birth to Virginia Patterson Hensley on September 8th, 1932. So this is, Hilda is now around 18 years old, right? Oh my God, so young. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You guys know that we, we hate it. Yeah. That's just the facts. It's unfortunate how familiar this story is, too, but... Mm -hmm. All right. Patsy was known to sing as she skipped down the street. She had a sassy attitude, always wanting to wear Mary Janes. She only would wear Mary Janes. She'd go to the shoe store. They'd say, Patsy, why don't you try on another pair of shoes? And she'd say, <laughs> no. Give me my Mary Janes. Uh. She would have a younger brother named John, and after that, a younger sister named Sylvia May. They seemed to move around quite a bit, with her father taking a job as a firefighter and then a blacksmith. And when Patsy, Virginia at the time, <laughs> nicknamed Ginny, but we're going to call her Patsy for <laughs> clarity, yes. when she was eight, they settled in Winchester. They lived in a working-class neighborhood. Her father was a hardworking laborer, sometimes took jobs out of town, and the parents were known to fight, separate, and get back together. This would become a pattern in Patsy's relationships later on. Patsy was often reminded by kids in school and various town folk, as in, like, Patsy would remind, or they would remind Patsy that she was from the other side of the track. But the amount of talent and charisma that she had compensated for her lack of material wealth. Hmm. I, so I quote, she said, over and over again, just you wait, I'll show you. I've made my wish on a shooting star. Someday I'll be a country singer on the Grand Old Opry. I'll make records and everybody will know my name. She wasn't wrong. It happened. It's, it happened. Yeah. And so people would tell her, well, you know, that's really hard to do, which only made her that much more determined. Like, yeah. Nothing like people telling you that you can't do something to light a fire under your ass and that's do right. it times harder. That's right. For Patsy, obstacles became advantages, like this obstacle. When Patsy was 13, she developed a rheumatic fever and a throat infection. Her oh. heart even stopped beating. Whoa. Damn. Listen to this, though. The fever affected her throat so that when she recovered, she had a booming voice like Kate Smith. What? It improved her voice. What? That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Patsy sang in the Baptist choir. She loved gospel and religious songs. She played piano at church and at home. 
At 14, she was ready, or rather, she thought she was ready to be on the radio, and she told her mother just that. She was tired of waiting. Hmm. So she knew that Jolton Jim McCoy did a live show with his band on Saturdays, and she singled him out, and she tracked him down. When she arrived and waited for him, he found her smiling and all dressed up. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. You're Jolt and Jim? Yes. Who are you? Virginia Hensley from here in Winchester. I listen to your show all the time. I'm more than a fan. I'm a singer myself, and I want to be on your show. If you give me a chance, I'll never ask for pay. What? (laughs) Honey, you think you're good enough to sing live on the radio? Yes, sir. Impressed with her naivete and determination, McCoy decided to audition Virginia. As she sang, he wondered if anything, least of all a microphone that broadcast a thousand, could scare this girl. Someday, this gal's gonna be a star, McCoy thought. She finished her song and stood before him. Well, if you got nerve enough to stand before that mic and sing over the air the li- <laughs> and sing over the air live, I've got nerve enough to let you. Ah, oh, I love it. Yeah. As Patsy's little star was on the rise, her parents' marriage was ending. Her father was a drinker. They had conflicts that they couldn't resolve, and some of those conflicts included affairs that he was having with other women. Hmm. Apparently, okay, we're going to hate this. So hold on to your seats. Apparently, Patsy told her friends that on multiple occasions, her father, or rather she told her friends a few times that on one occasion, her father had tried something with her one night when he was drunk. I'm not surprised. I was worried about something like that just with her mom being so young when he entered the picture and everything as well. Yes. Ugh. Besides the unhappiness in her parents' marriage, Patsy had a wonderful relationship with her mother, who was only 31 at the time. She always knew she could talk to her mom about anything and depend on her for anything, and that would come to be true throughout her career. That's great. Patsy's mother was an expert seamstress, 
but was having a hard time making ends meet. So it was up to Patsy, who is the oldest, to take on responsibility. She quit high school in her sophomore year and began began working at a drugstore. Wow. Yeah. When Patsy would go and do her song and dance routines, of course, her mother would be the one to make her outfits and continue to do so, as far as I know, throughout Patsy's entire career. I mean, Patsy didn't only wear her mom's creations by the time she was on the charts, Mm -hmm. but I think her mom continued to make her outfits. That's great. They're beautiful. They are, for sure. Yeah. Patsy actually wrote a letter to the Grand Ole Opry asking for an audition. She heard back and was asked to send pictures and a recording. The photographer, a member of the town who would go into Patsy's work to buy milkshakes, took her photos and offered them as a gift to get her started in her career. Hmm. What about the recording? Well, there was someone else who was keen to help Patsy get started and also charged her nothing. A man named Bob Gaines, who was a partner in the GM music store. Cool. Patsy made her theatrical debut the night she snuck in backstage at Wally Fowler's concert in her town and asked him to audition her. I love that she, like, took control of everything. Like, she definitely lived by the whole, like, a no is free model. Yeah, yeah. She didn't wait until these doors were opened for her. She went and, like, kicked them open. It was like, I'm here. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, I mean... This is the 1950s. So brave. The 1950s. I love her. I love her so much. Yeah. He was taken aback by her presence. Just showing up and straight up asking for an audition. He said, okay, sing then. (laughs) So on the stage, he introduced her as his discovery from Winchester. And when she sang, everyone listened. Wally Fowler was so impressed that after the show, he went to Patsy's mother and said that he wanted to arrange an audition for her in Nashville with the radio station and the Opry officials. So two weeks later, Patsy was headed to Nashville. Amazing. So what's cool about this book is that it does give a little bit of a history lesson on the Grand Ole Opry, its inception in 1925, uh, the history of its relocation. So you were interested in that it's in the book but i'm not going to get into it so patsy auditioned everyone seemed to love her but when she got home she didn't hear anything back Hmm. she didn't let it get her down though patsy continued singing at whatever event she could her neighbor formed a band called the metronomes a pop music band and patsy was the lead vocalist and she would be for about four months amazing so yeah her mother made her outfits even then and patsy worked everywhere from taverns to honky-tonks even though patsy was just a pint-sized five foot four she took care of herself patsy once said nothing men do surprise me i'm ready for them i know how to whack below the belt (laughs) love it yeah so i'll read you a little bit about her reputation cool so this is a quote Though she wasn't a beauty, said Rinker, men fell at Virginia's feet. She possessed much allure. She was well endowed and had the right moves. Virginia had pretty brown hair and sparkling brown eyes. She'd smile and guys would be hogtied, but Virginia was chasing rainbows. She liked to get serious without having to get serious. She had no plans to get tied down. She enjoyed playing the field and having a good time. She liked the fast crowd. If anything scared her, I didn't know about it. As far as Virginia and me, we were romantic friends, but not headed for the altar. Aw, 
I love that so much. I feel like Patsy would have been so fun to hang out with. Like 1950. <laughs> so, yeah, while some people considered her like a quote, loose woman, a hard boiled teaser out only for herself, you know, the she was nicknamed the honky tonk angel. Yeah, and I feel like that kind of like talk is when you boil it down is basically like what you were saying like she just loved to live life and was happy and free and young and being a badass yeah absolutely to those who knew patsy she was down to earth you know 19 years old she wasn't fancy or full of herself she liked her mashed potatoes and fried chicken just like everyone else (laughs) she impressed people with her musicianship knowledge of music you know even had her own band Clarence William Pierre did many things for Patsy, including putting her in his band and encouraging her to change her name. So it was at his recommendation that she started going by Patsy Hensley. She was a hit with this new band. Audiences loved her energy, the way she sang, the way she moved. In terms of her personality, she stood up for herself. She turned down men if she wasn't interested. And she took them by the hand if she was. Hmm. Obviously, <laughs> people had negative things to say about that. But who cares? Exactly. This I, Apparently, she had like the mouth of a sailor. Like she would shock people with the kind of language that she used. Amazing. So this man, Clarence William Pierre, became obsessed with Patsy. And he like had a wife, but he said he'd leave her. Oh God! And she just like tell him like stop carrying on. You know, my, <laughs> my career comes first. Perfect. So soon, to everyone's surprise, because Patsy was so focused on her career, she would marry a man named Gerald Klein. Well, you know how the hell did this happen? Don't worry, I'll tell you. Gerald, a known ladies' man. <laughs> And a guy who was rich on Saturday and poor on Monday was already married and divorced with a child by the time he met Patsy. Okay. He was five foot eight, 200 pounds. (laughs) You know, he would dress to the nines. And uh, on October 11th, 1952, he saw Patsy on stage. For him, he said it was love at first sight, but knew it wasn't for her. Even mm. though Patsy was in the, a bit of an item with this guy I was telling you about, Clarence William, who she called Bill, she did go out with Gerald and apparently admired his persistence. Okay. They got married pretty quickly. Patsy said that she wasn't ready, but he threatened to kill himself if she didn't. So that's Oh, great. Cool. Yeah, I mean, great. <laughs> great for great omen. That reminds me of Axel Rose and Aaron Everly. I'm pretty sure he did the same. If, or if she left him, he was going to kill himself or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's not the only reason why she married him. Obviously, Patsy was the person that she did what she wanted to do. She didn't do what she didn't want to do. Yeah. She wanted to marry this guy for yeah. whatever reason. Her working and traveling didn't bother him at first. <laughs> There's always an at first. Yeah. He wanted her to be more of a typical wife and less of a musician. Does he know who he married? I know. They would separate from time to time. And it's said that Patsy even fell in love with a 21-year-old sailor and continued going back and forth between Bill and Gerald Hmm. and the sailor. So, respect. Yeah. Feminism. Patsy didn't want children at this time and was really focused on her career. 
However, she did accidentally get pregnant and would have a miscarriage. Hmm. So she vowed to a friend in private that she would be more careful. So Patsy was in kind of like Loretta Lynn in, in the sense of being early pioneers for birth control. Great. In terms of career, she played a show with Jimmy Dean, who, you know, they were friends, but like, yeah, he'd make a boner joke in the fashion that one does back in the 50s. So just after her 22nd birthday, she signed a two-year recording contract with Four Star. They were so excited that they didn't bother to have a lawyer read over the contract in the fine print. Oh, no. Yeah, big oh, no. This would come to be the single biggest mistake in Patsy's professional life. So I'll read to you about her contract. Patsy's contract was a standard American Federation of Musicians form specifying a minimum of 16... 78 RPM record sides or the equivalent thereof, and additional recordings shall be made at our election. The musical compositions to be recorded shall be mutually agreed upon between you and us, and each recording shall be shall be subject to our approval and satisfactory. So does that sound like she has a lot of control? No. Exactly. Not at all. So her her services would be exclusive with Four Star for two years with one year renewal option. Any recordings would remain the property of Four Star. No. Her royalty of 2.34% of the retail list price on records was about half the royalty paid to established stars. Oh, that's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. Everything came out of her paycheck. Like, yeah. So it, it took her a while to start making some money. Mm-hmm. because it was like a battle with these people. Ugh. Patsy began to play shows in New York. She'd wear cowgirl outfits as well as black gowns she bought in New York. She recorded songs for her record, and it was pretty clear that the songs that she recorded reflected what was going on in her life, like the song A Church, A Courtroom, and then Goodbye, or Honky Tonk Merry-Go-Round. Mm-hmm. She sang at the Opry for the first time in July and was introduced by Ernest Tubb. He said later that it was near impossible not to adore Patsy. She had a good voice and was trying so hard to make it. Patsy was making demos, you know, early on when people would hear them. They could tell that Patsy had both country and pop music appeal. She would be separated from Gerald before eventually ending the marriage in 1957. Some say that in terms of her marriage, it was one for one and one for one. Hmm. So she really looked out for herself. And with the band she was in, she felt like they were holding her back. So she began to make TV appearances. And even though her recorded music wasn't taking off yet, her live appearances were. She felt that her career wasn't moving fast enough. But in the wa- like Washington and surrounding areas, um, here w- here's what was written about her in a Washington Star magazine cover story. In a March 18 Washington Star Sunday magazine cover story, she was dubbed the hillbilly with oomph. <laughs> Patsy has brought a brand of showmanship and rhythm to hillbilly music that's as welcome as a cool country breeze in springtime. We call her a country music choreographer. She creates the moods through movements of her hands and body and by the lilt of her voice, reaching way down deep in her soul to bring forth the melody. Most female country music vocalists stand motionless, sing with a monotonous high-pitched nasal twang. 
Patsy's come up with a throaty style loaded with motion and emotion. Hmm. I love so, that. I mean, I love it, but like, I think I just have to say again, most female country music yeah. vocalists <laughs> stand motionless, sting, sing with a monotonous, high-pitched nasal twang. Like, did we really need to include that? But that's like, you know, that kind of shit. That's how women were written about then. Yeah. But it also gives a good juxtaposition of like, I I picture her on stage now and I can picture her movement and everything, right? But yeah, Yeah. they could have done that without tearing other women down for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Patsy developed quite a following but felt underpaid. In order to get some advance money, her record label said, all right, well, we'll give you some money, but you have to extend your contract for another year. Hmm. Like, okay. Uh, during, during all this, Patsy fell in love with a man named Charlie Dick, known for being wild, picking fights, and <laughs> surprise, surprise, being a ladies' man. <laughs> Why are they all ladies' men? I don't know. He was two years younger than Patsy and a certified hottie. Okay, that's my words. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get that from the book, but I've seen pictures. And in that Jessica Lang film I mentioned, he's played by Ed Harris. Oh, cool. She's quoted by an old friend who asked her, how's Gerald? To which she replied, who? Gerald, (laughs) your husband. Oh, him. Haas, I got some news. I met a boy my own age who's a hurricane in pants. (laughs) Del, I'm in love. And this time it's for real. Oh, my God. A hurricane in pants. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So let's pivot to Capitol Records. So there's these two guys. They were discussing Patsy's career and why had her records not exploded yet. So these guys named Hecht and McCall explained to his friend that it was because Patsy shouldn't be singing hillbilly music. They searched through some unpublished songs and found something for her. The song was Walkin' After Midnight. But guess what? Patsy hated hated it. She hated the title. She hated the song. But nonetheless, she went to Los Angeles to meet with McCall and and Hecht. They clashed. But they came to the agreement that she'd sing it if she could choose the song to go on the B-side. She didn't want to sing pop. She was a country girl. So the song that she chose was... A Poor Man's Roses or A Rich Man's Gold to accompany Walking After Midnight. Okay. So while Patsy and Jimmy Dean were becoming close friends, he recalled how Patsy would have bruises. So Charlie was the one giving them to her. No. To retaliate, she'd embarrass him in public. Hmm. So she never really talked about it to everyone. And at the time, everyone had this attitude of, well, I'm just going to mind my own business because that's yeah. their business. All right. So when I had said that, you know, Patsy's emotions and everything had come out in her music, it could be because this next romance of hers was not good. It was abusive. And she remained with him. And they would, you know, like separate, get back together. But ultimately, they stayed together. Okay. Patsy was accepted into Arthur Godry's Talent Scouts in New York. Around this time, it was Patsy's debut on national network television. Everyone wanted her to sing Walking After Midnight. But she said it made her feel like a sex worker and that it was just a silly pop song. 
She had brought an elaborate country outfit to wear, but she was told that the outfit didn't match the song, so they put her in a cocktail dress. Well, it worked. And when it was announced, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Patsy Cline, she sang her heart out for two minutes, and then there was an eternity of applause. People loved that song, Walking After Midnight. I'm glad. People were standing and yelling for more. Patsy cried as her dreams were being realized. Oh, Patsy. After that, she did a country song. Um, the one that she originally wanted to sing. Gotcha. Yeah, probably the one that was on the B-side. The B-side, yeah. Yeah. She finally had a hit, and she was kind of being, I guess, typed as uh, an overnight sensation. Although we know it takes a lot of work to become an overnight sensation. Yep. She would perform again on the Talent Scouts. She wanted the Opry and was becoming you know, more difficult with the people on Talent Scouts because they wanted her to sing more pop songs and she refused. She was fired. She was rehired. On February 11th, her label rushed a release of Walking After Midnight and it became an immediate hit across the charts, both country and pop. Hmm. Walking After Midnight went to number two on the Billboard country charts and was moving up the pop charts. It got to number 12 on the pop charts and was there for 19 weeks uh, on the country charts, 16 on pop. Fantastic. This was an unprecedented first for a female country artist. Wow. So, yeah, she enjoyed a whole bunch of media attention, and she began composing her own music and writing her own songs. When Patsy would stay in Nashville, she'd stay with June Carter. Aww. And she got engaged to Charlie. When Patsy continued to do TV spots, she developed a reputation for showing up late. Sometimes she'd have liquor on her breath. So she was sometimes difficult to, I suppose, work with. Gotcha. She was touring across the states. The book mentions a lot of other women in country music at the time. Like, you know, Patsy wasn't the only one on the circuit. But it also did mention how difficult it was to be a woman and even get a chance in music. Hmm. Where Patsy was different is that she didn't have to beg anyone for a chance. They were begging her to be playing their shows at this point. Okay. Brenda Lee recalls a time when she was young and got stiffed by a promoter. She didn't get paid, and this was a common thing. Ugh. So she needed money to get to the next town. She was relying on that money from that gig to get her to the next town. When Patsy heard about this, she gave them a meal and drove in her, she drove Brenda Lee in her car to the next town. The mothers slept in the back. So Patsy and Brenda Lee's mother and Patsy and Brenda Lee sat up in the front. Patsy taught Brenda to get the money up front. Mm. And if they wouldn't pay up front, then she wouldn't play. That's great. I love women supporting women. Exactly. Patsy was known to be a huge supporter of other women. Always having the attitude of there's room for everyone. Mm-hmm. And then if you'll recall the Loretta Lynn episode, Loretta was kind of given a hard time by some women musicians because Loretta was getting so much attention at the Opry. But as soon as Patsy was like, Loretta's cool with me, everyone was like, all right, well, then I guess, you know, she's cool with us too. <laughs> and then all of the women that speak about Patsy, just they can't say enough how generous she was, how much she gave even when she didn't even that have much to give she was handing things out to people to make their lives better she sounds incredible 
Mm-hmm. Even though Patsy was giving good advice about money, though, her record company was taking all the money she was making from her 45 that she put out, as well as Walking After Midnight. Mm. So when Patsy's first album was released, she was 25 years old. At that time, her and Charlie got married. Patsy received Billboard's Most Promising Country and Western Female Artist Award and Music Vendor Magazine's Award for Greatest Achievement in Records in 1957 for Walkin' After Midnight. This was great, but her record label was doing nothing to promote her record, so she thought it might be a good idea to get a manager. Hmm. While her and Charlie were setting up their home, Patsy became pregnant. On one hand, she was very happy about this. And on the other hand, she was worried about it because her career was just starting to really take off the way she wanted it to. Yeah. Patsy was playing regularly at the Opry, but her back deal was making it so that she was receiving very little money. Hmm. If, you know, the abuse wasn't enough, cracks were appearing in the marriage. Charlie would get drunk at events she was playing and scream at her that he didn't want her to go on stage because he wanted her to be like the other wives. Ah. That's the right response. He'd say things like, I'm your husband and you'll do what I say. (laughs) What a joke. And she'd say, Charlie, you must be confusing me with someone who gives a good goddamn about what you say. Uh, I love it. Like, what's wrong with these men marrying women that they know have a life and a career and like what they really think they're just going to give it up for them? Also, all of the money that, like, she made would go to the family. Like, it of would course. Go to support the children that they would have and the home that they would live in. So it's like, okay, you really wanted to start working? Then what are you going to do for her? Like, nothing. You're just going to be like, Yeah, then you you'll know? complain about like, that. Yeah, like the um, rich on Monday, poor on Saturday, or rich on Saturday, poor on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, okay. So on August 15th, Patsy gave birth to her daughter, Julie. So... We're in 1959 now. Patsy was a loving and doting mother, but she was also eager to get back to singing. The 1959 sessions began, and she was in the recording studio. When Julie was only nine months old, Patsy became pregnant again. That's actually like the same time frame between me and my younger brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I was born in January, and then my brother was born in April of the next year. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) yeah so patsy worked twice as hard because they were still like living paycheck to paycheck mouth to mouth Mm -hmm. patsy was told that if she really wanted to advance her career to the next level that they should move to nashville so they did they became friends with carl butler and his wife pearl and yeah at the opry like i said she'd be supportive of all the female singers knowing that there was room for everyone love it yeah Patsy wanted to do things for her mother, like buy her a newer vehicle. And she didn't often talk about things that she wanted for her, like anything that she wanted for herself. She just wanted to like better the people around her. Except for the one remark that she made that she'd like to have a bathroom, like the one that she saw in a movie once with a bathtub. (laughs) But unfortunately, there wasn't a loophole in her contract to get out of. So she really just needed to wait it out. (sighs) Yeah. So Patsy soon became a full-fledged member at the Grand Old Opry. Okay, so I'm just going to read you a little bit more about the marriage. Let's just hop back to that for a second. Charlie never appreciated what type of wife Patsy was and wanted to be. He surely didn't understand her drive to be a star. In fact, he was jealous of her success. He was a man, and that wasn't the natural order of things. 
Husbands of singers and entertainers don't mind taking the benefits, but they mind the fact that it's the wife who's earning them. They love the money, but don't love you enough, and money was a problem with them. They had lean times. I can remember a few times Patsy begging the Opry officials to let her on so she'd have the that pittance they paid. Sometimes it was the make or break between paying the rent or phone and gas bill. Uh, that's crazy. Okay, so despite their problems, they were still very much in love. Patsy was a generous woman, and this probably stemmed from her childhood when she would ask her friends if they could come over for dinner, and even though they barely had enough to feed themselves, Patsy's mom always found a way, and their door was always open and welcome. It makes sense that her mom was just as generous. Yeah. So finally, Patsy was about to have another hit. The song I Fall to Pieces was written and turned down by four other artists before it got to her. Wow. Wow. Patsy gave birth to a son named Randolph in January. She took the girl singers she met under her wing, made them dinner, and she just continued on working and having a life and friendships even though she had these two babies. It's great. So Dottie West was among one of those women, and when she couldn't find work as a singer, Patsy would have her work with her and like help get Dottie to help her with her hair and makeup and outfits and bring her on tour, similar to what she did with Loretta Lynn. Love it. So 1961 was a good year for Patsy. She had a son, a daughter, and two hits. It was around this time, though, that she began to have premonitions of her death. Oh, no way. Yeah, she would actually tell June Carter, Dottie, and others on multiple occasions. Wow, she sensed it. She even made a will and uh, to ensure the care of her children, and she told her mother where she could find that will. Wow, like it was a real fear with her. Yeah, she would say things often like, oh, I'm not long for this world for too long. Uh. In April, I Felt the Pieces was on the charts. With the success of that song, she was able to perform shows on a promotional tour alone. She was on the radio, her record was selling, and she was over the moon. She began making some money and became the reigning queen of country music while crossing over to pop airplay. Hmm. It got to the point where her husband would be introduced as Mr. Klein or Patsy Klein's husband. (laughs) And based on what we know about him, you can imagine how much he hated that. Oh, yes. So Patsy did the things you'd expect with this, you know, fortune and fame that she so deserved. She purchased a a dream home. She bought better fabric for her mother to sew her dresses with. Nice. So this is going to be actually probably surprising because we know that Patsy lost her life, you know, and we're coming up in in a few years' time to a plane crash. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, she almost lost her life before that. On June 13th, Patsy was in a terrible car accident that left her critically injured and near death. Wow. Driving on the road, coming towards them, were two cars coming towards them on a double yellow line. One of the cars was trying to pass the other, but there wasn't enough room, and there was a head-on collision. Oh, my God. A 32-year-old woman and her 6-year-old son both tragically lost their lives in that accident. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Several hundred members of the Grand Old Opry gathered outside the hospital to show their love for Patsy. Flowers, telegrams, cards, and letters all arrived for Patsy as she began to make her recovery. That's great. They didn't think she would, but she did. While Patsy was in the hospital, 
Loretta Lynn played her first night at the Opry. She played Honky Tonk Girl and then I Fall to Pieces, dedicating it to Patsy, for whom she was a huge fan. Oh, I love it. So this is how the two met. At the hospital, Patsy was listening. Charlie sneaked in a radio so Patsy could hear the Opry. Well, I'll be damned, exclaimed Patsy. Can you believe that? She sang my song and dedicated it to me. That's pretty nice of that gal. Charlie, go down to the record store and thank her and tell her I want to meet her. Aww. When Charlie arrived, he looked for Loretta amid all the well-wishers. I saw the skinny girl in western clothes and went up to her. Are you Loretta Lynn? Yes, sir. I sure am. Who are you? I'm Charlie Dick. Nice to meet you. Loretta smiled and replied, Well, it's sure nice to meet you. (laughs) There was a pause, and Charlie suddenly realized that his last name wouldn't mean anything to Loretta. (laughs) He quickly added, I'm Charlie Dick, Patsy Cline's husband. She sent me to thank you. Charlie recollected Loretta threw her arms around me and nearly hugged me to death. Then she hollered out to her husband, Do, called Loretta, this is Patsy Cline's husband, Charlie Dick. She sent him down here to thank me for singing her song on the broadcast. Oh, this is so sweet. They've been friends ever since. Of course. Uh, I love it. <laughs> um, people weren't sure, like, if Patsy really had close friends. Like, she never would say, this was my best friend. But Loretta has gone on to say, Patsy was my closest friend. Uh, it must have been hard when she lost her. Mm-hmm. Patsy began to recover and got reconstructive or was supposed to have reconstructive surgery on her forehead. I think she maybe had a bit, and then she was supposed to go back for more, but she didn't. Patsy was looking forward to recording again. Like her two previous hits, she wasn't sure about this next one at first, and as with the other two, famously told her band or manager, you know, that if they liked the song so much, then they should just record it. (laughs) This song in particular was crazy. Oh, yes. Patsy would go on to celebrate her 29th birthday, play again at the Opry, on crutches. Really? Yeah. The next time she was at the Opry, though, without crutches is when she sang Crazy for the first time. And it quickly entered the country charts, followed by the pop charts. I think Willie Nelson wrote that song. Oh, you know what? It it wasn't mentioned in the book. But that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think so. Surprise me at all. Yeah. Patsy played Carnegie Hall and got a wonderful reception. By the end of that year, Patsy was pushing herself to the brink with work, things with her husband, and her doctor had informed her that she was on the brink of a nervous breakdown. Hmm. Now, nothing meant more to Patsy than her kids. She was always thinking of their future. It almost killed her leaving those youngins at home. On the road, Patsy'd make Carl pull over whenever she saw a phone. She'd say, I've got to call my babies and go to the bathroom in that order. (laughs) Patsy was once a woman in search of a dream. When that dream became reality, neither she nor Charlie could handle it. Suddenly, the girl he was so in love with and sharing very, very intimate thought with was the center of everyone's attention. There was little private life with the phone ringing incessantly, people wanting Patsy here, there, everywhere, recording sessions, writers wanting to audition songs, personal appearances, promotions, photo shoots, interviews, and working on this deal to get to the next. Hmm. Stardom, whether the husband's or the wife's, can be devastating to any marriage. Yeah. Haven't we seen that time and time again? Oh, yes, we have. 
actually, so since Patsy's forehead scars, she didn't go in for that next surgery. Um, she actually, a lot of the photos that you would see after her accident, she's wearing wigs. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Patsy was continuing to get songs on the charts, traveled to Toronto, co-headlined the Hollywood Bowl with Johnny Cash. Cool. Patsy's third album, Sentimentally Yours, was released on August 6th, 1962. Patsy turned 30 and celebrated in her dream house. She did hundreds of interviews, and here are some awards that she won. She took home 10 honors, including Billboard's Favorite Female Artist, Cashbox's Most Program Album of the Year, Patsy Cline Showcase, and Most Programmed C&W Female Vocalist, Music Reporter's Female Vocalist of the Year and, st- and Star of the Year, and Music Vendor's Female Vocalist of the Year for Crazy and She's Got You. For the second year in a row, Patsy unseated Kitty Wells. Damn, she was so popular. Mm-hmm. Patsy played in Vegas, which was a huge accomplishment for her. Charlie was on record once saying that Patsy was making $6,300 a week hmm. in 1962. Can you imagine? <sighs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> the last time Loretta Lynn saw Patsy was when she was invited over to her music room to listen to her new songs. She was excited and proud of her new songs, but she asked Loretta if she thought that she was getting a little too far away from country. Loretta said no and that the songs were perfect. So this is what Loretta says about her last meeting with Patsy. Patsy told me she'd give me $50 if I'd go with her on that Kansas City benefit date Sunday. But I told her, I have a date Saturday that pays $70, so I better go on and make that one. We made plans to go shopping when she returned from the weekend. Just before we left her house around midnight, Patsy said she had something for me. Then she gave me some long, dangly, sparkling earrings and a whole box filled with clothes. When we went to the car through the music room, I said to do, oh, I forgot to say goodbye to Patsy. He told me, well, hurry up and go ahead and tell her it's midnight and we need to get going. I set the box down on the hood of Patsy and Charlie's Cadillac and went in. I hugged her and kissed her. And as I went back out of the door, Patsy hauled off and hit me a little bit. She said, we're going to stick together, aren't we, gal? That was the last time I saw Patsy. Oh, my God, my heart. Oh, my God. God, that's so sad and sweet. So Loretta stayed behind, but on March 3rd, Patsy performed a benefit concert in Kansas. She had a terrible cold and was anxious to get home to her children. On March 5th, the weather was awful, which led to the clouds engulfing the plane that she was on. Because of that, in the poor weather conditions, it would crash, leaving no survivors. Uh, it is said that everyone died instantly. The, uh, Among those on board were Cowboy Copas and the, and Hackshaw Hawkins, um, as well as the pilot Randy Hughes. Um, so this was in Camden, Tennessee. They really weren't too far from home at this point. The attendance for the funeral service was the largest in Nashville history. It's like how I felt about this was that like you feel that there's so much story left of patsy's to tell yeah but then all of a sudden i'm like no but then she went and played a gig and she never came home and so you can imagine how everybody felt like that life was just taken so soon like she wasn't finished she had very small children you know like five and four years old 
it's such a tragedy and she had such a blossoming career and you know that she would have continued on and yeah she had so much more left to live for yeah so the attendance for the funeral service was the largest in nashville history there was a grand Ole opry memorial on march 9th 1963 those who played included roy acuff june carter or sorry maybe it's roy akoff june carter jack green and the jordanaires in November of 1963, Patsy's five-year-old daughter, Julie, accepted Patsy's award for most programmed country female vocalist. Hmm. Ten years later, in 1973, Patsy became the first solo female named to the Country Music Hall of Fame. She deserved it. She sure did. Patsy was on a U.S. postal stamp in 1993 celebrating the 60th anniversary of her birth, and her childhood home was marked as a history place in Virginia. Her Country Music Hall of Fame plaque reads, Born Virginia Patterson Hensley in Virginia, Patsy will live in country music annals as one of its outstanding vocalists. Tragically, her career was cut short in its prime when she was killed in a plane crash. Her heritage of recordings is testimony to her artistic capacity. Biggest hit, I Fall to Pieces, has become a standard catapulted to fame by an Arthur Godfrey Talent Scouts appearance in 1957. Joined Grand Old Opry in 1960. Realization of a lifelong ambition. Hmm. Patsy was buried in the Shenandoah Memorial Park in her hometown of Winchester, Virginia. Her grave is marked with a bronze plaque, which reads, Virginia H. Dick, Patsy Klein. <sighs> Death cannot kill what never dies. Love. Oh, and a memorial actually marks the exact place off Mount Carmel Road in Camden, Tennessee, where the plane crashed in the still remote forest. Damn. And that is the too short life of Patsy Cline. That was an incredible episode. I'm so glad you thought of doing her. I mean, my God, does she deserve her story to be told? And I think I'm actually going to start listening like you said start from her early catalog and go on for the rest of the day because she was wonderful I had no idea like what an amazing woman she was you know behind the scenes as well yeah and I think that when you have like the younger girls that are up and coming and they see Patsy walking around like taking no shit and like honestly like a story that I didn't include that if like somebody farted in front of Patsy she'd turn around she'd lift a leg and she'd outdo them you know <laughs> and for and for her to you know speak her mind say yes to what she wanted say no when she meant no, she was leading by example and she yeah. was setting a good example for all of the young women. And there was a lot of them that were looking up to her. Absolutely. Like you said, she was so ahead of her time. She was just fabulous. Thank you for that, Shanti. That was incredible. Well, thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of it. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. And I hope everyone else enjoyed it. I'm sure everyone did. And, uh, yeah, keep uh, keep listening, keep sharing, keep liking, keep supporting. And if you haven't checked out Lynx's amazing videos on TikTok, she's <laughs> absolutely killing it over there. Go over to Muse's Pod on TikTok and you are going to learn, like I learn. Every time Lynx posts a video, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> what am I going to learn today? And like I'm learning a ton of stuff from her 60 seconds that she packs in. 
Uh, thank you. Yeah, I've been working hard on those. So it's nice to see the reaction that it's getting on there as well. So yeah, thanks. And if you want to see a video of my new puppy, you can go to Patreon because I am going to put his little snoot on camera and we're going to record a video when I get him. So you can head over to patreon.com slash muses podcast. Yes, keep doing that. And uh, yeah, I cannot wait for the pup. (laughs) Me too. All right. Thanks, everybody. We love you and we'll see you next time. Muses is researched, edited, and produced by us, Chantella Mew and Lynx O'Leary. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you, and let's make season two even more memorable together.